You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Amen. Let us remain standing as we pray. Father, our prayer this morning is simple. May you truly be our everything. May not just be words we sing. May that be the attitude and reflection of our hearts this morning. Speak to us today, God, through your word. Open our eyes to see and our hearts to understand. Transform us today, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the authority of the word of God. Together, we long for more than even celebrating our mothers today. We long to celebrate Jesus Christ today. More than even seeing the face of our mothers today, God, we long to see the face of our God today. May it be so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat this morning. We're turning in our Bibles to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, while well, you get there, uh, well, if you don't have a Bible to get there with, please throw your hand up in the air, and our, one of our uh, ushers will be happy to give you a copy of God's Word. But while you get there, I just want to take a moment to, again, uh, remind you to uh, take today to celebrate your mothers, for your mothers that are with us today. We are uh, glad to have you with us. We celebrate you. We're thankful for you. We're with you, and we're actually proud of you for all that you do for your families. We see the hard work that you do, and it's not an easy task being a mother. Guys, come on. Give me something, guys. Yes. That's why us guys are up so early to go to work in the morning. We love our kids, but to be a mother, oh my goodness. Uh, We also understand today, though, on the other side of things, it can be a sad day for some people. It's a tough day for some uh, today, so we want to acknowledge that we're with you as well. Some of you um, did kind of miss your mother. Maybe you've had a mother that's passed on, or you uh, missed out on having a good mother where our hearts are with you today, or you missed out on being a mother, and we know that's not an easy concept to walk through as well. So I just want to assure you that we are with you today, and we are praying for you as much as we're celebrating our mothers today. And so um, we don't make a huge deal of Mother's Day for that reason. We know there's all different people from different walks of life and different different backgrounds, but we do want to also honor our mom. So as we do that, though, the greatest thing we want to do every Sunday as a church is to honor our God. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2 today, continuing on with our uh, courageous series, looking at verses uh, 20 to 26 today, and talking about a simple concept, living a life of honor, living a life of honor, living a life that is worthy of honor. When it comes to receiving an award for honor, there's one that sticks out in my mind. It's the Medal of Honor that's given uh, to those in the U.S. military for their acts of valor. And so uh, prestigious and so honorary is this medal that only 3,522 have been given out since 1863 when the first one was given out. You're like, that's a lot of medals. Well, really not considering all the wars and all the people who've gone through U.S. military, 3,522 medals have gone out. Such a prestigious award is this that the recipient gets to meet the president Uh, And also gets the honor of having every person in active service salute them when they walk by, whether it's a higher rank or not. Uh, They get saluted by everybody. And uh, it's the only time in military that a higher rank will salute a a rank of lower, a lower rank as if they have a medal of bravery or a medal of honor. Now, you and I will never have a chance to be nominated for a medal of honor because we don't serve in the U.S. military, nor will we ever get to meet the president. Maybe that's a good thing. But there's a greater honor that we can have bestowed upon us, and that's not to get a medal hung around our neck by a president of some country, but there's a crown of of honor given to those who endure in this life by living lives of 
courage by living lives of endurance, perseverance in the face of adversity. For those that give their lives for their fellow brothers and sisters in this, in this life, they will receive, the Bible tells us, a crown of life given to us by God himself. And that's the crown we're going for. And we want to live our lives now in a way that we can say that we are going to be on the nomination list for the crown of life given by Jesus Christ. That's what I'm living for. Is that what you're living for? The crown of life. Yes, we may have to give that back to the Lord and lay at his feet, but regardless, it is an honor that only some, and I believe only a few of distinction will get for how we live our lives on this earth for the glory of Jesus Christ. Will we live courageously, enduring, and persevering for the gospel and for others, or will we shrink back? Let me tell you what this passage tells us that we're going to look at. It tells us this, it matters how you fight the fight of faith. Some fight valiantly, some fight uh, by just being thankful th- that they're in the, in the fight, and others are noticed for all the wrong reasons. And so let's get to the text today. It's, it's how we can live a life of honor, that we will receive an honor or a nod of approval from the Lord. See the little subtitle in your text here, a worker approved by God. That's what we're aiming for. Brett kicked us off very well last week with this little subsection. We're going to continue on with that here in verse 20. Don't want to miss a word of what God has for us through the Apostle Paul to his young protege, Pastor Timothy. Look at verse 20. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honorable use, here it is. Some for dishonorable use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Verse 22, so flee youthful passions, brothers and sisters. This is an exhortation, but also an encouragement. So you can read it this way. So flee youthful passions, or you say, hey, come on, guys, like, let's flee youthful passions and pursue these things, righteousness, faith, Love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that these breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant, of which you and I both are, must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the the devil after being captured by him to do his will. This is the word of the Lord. Don't you love how sometimes God's word when we read it, it just seems to like grab us and I don't have to tell you this is a serious text, it's a serious text. I have to tell you this morning, it's going to be a text that might bring a little conviction to your heart. It's, it's a text that is true that we all need to get under, myself included. And I love these texts because they kind of give you that like, little spiritual wake-up call sometime. It kind, of, it kind of reminds you of what's up and what's down, what's right and what's wrong, and, and how we ought to be living. And the question we ask ourselves today is, are we living a life of honor? That's what's described here. Or are we living a life of dishonor to the Lord? Let me help you understand this text today. You can write this down in your notes as we unpack it. Number one, honorable living is what it's all about. What's our life all about? What are we aiming for? Honorable living is what it's all about. We see that in verses 20 and 21. Look at this. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honorable, some for dishonorable use. This is Paul 
showing Timothy that there's different types of people that belong to God. When I first read this, I thought, oh, this is simple. God is talking about the unbeliever and the believer. That's not what it's talking about at all. This is the great house. Who's the greatest? Who has the biggest house? God. This is, this is God's house. And in God's house, there's two different types of people. Those who are for honorable use and those who are for dishonorable use. And so he's given this picture of a big mansion. And if you ever walked in a big mansion or seen the, uh, the show The Lifestyle of the Rich and Famous, you know you walk in there and you're drawn to like, wow, this is splashy. There's gold, there's silver. And then there's other things that you just don't really notice because they're common to everyday house, houses. So, some things are like prominent and some things are not in a mansion. Just like in your house, if you don't live in a mansion, we still, have, we still live in mansions, Correct? Compared to 98% of the world, we live in mansions, the average house mansion. You walk in your house and you'll find things that, you, that are of noble purposes and things that aren't. You invite people over for dinner and what do you do? You get out your nice china, your nice cutlery, probably a wedding gift, your cutlery set you got for a wedding gift that you use like five times a year. And your nice fine china that you put your delicatessens on and you serve people with all, uh, guests, birthdays, anniversaries, and all those things. Uh, you, you serve them on your finest because they're of noble use. There's other things in the house that aren't so noble. We have restrooms with toilets and plungers. Useful, not quite noble. We have trash cans in our houses that are necessary but not quite useful that's where all the leftovers those things where all the leftovers from our great big meals go right you never show up at the door to greet your guests with a plunger in your hand welcome here a little awkward if you do don't do that anymore that's just awkward right some things of noble use some things of 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 unnoble youth use both useful very very useful but with completely different purposes that's how God, through Paul, is describing the house of God or the church to Timothy. He's like, Timothy, not everyone in your church is for honorable use, even though they might call themselves Christians. You have to note here this is for real, true, born-again Christians, not those who are just playing the game or not even those who are cultural Christians. This is for Christians, for born-again believers. There's two types of people in your church, some that are as God would see as gold and silver, authentic believers truly living out their faith, and some who are made of wood and clay, those within the church that stray from the truth and wade into the quicksand of false doctrine and dishonorable living. It's pretty strong words here. There's no halfway in between. You notice it? Look in the text. Some are for what? Verse 20, some are for? And some are for? You see a halfway in between? Some are for semi-honorable use, some are some, some days are for honorable, no, it's, 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 some are honorable, some are dishonorable. Who are the honorable vessels? We see this in my Bible, it's right across the page, so it was easy for me to remember. We see this uh, from a sermon I preached back in September in verse 4 of the same chapter. The honorable vessels are those who are the uh, soldiers that are good. The competitive athletes, the hardworking farmers, those are the honorable vessels. The dishonorable vessels are the lazy athletes, the dishonorable, or the weak soldiers, the cowardly soldiers, and the slothful farmers. Really what honor and dishonor mean in this text, it refers to the way genuine believers are useful or unuseful to the Lord in fulfilling the work that he has called them to. All believers ought to be honorable, but not all believers are. I'm already asking, so what am I today? 
Hopefully you're asking the question, wow, this is straightforward, so what am I today? I love how Paul's straightforward. We need straightforward once in a while. So if I'm a dishonorable vessel, does that mean I just sit here and be like, oh, wow, God ordained some to be honorable vessels and some to be dishonorable. I guess this is my lot in life. I'll just be a dishonorable vessel. No big deal. I'll just suck it up and keep going, and at least I'm plunging a good toilet, right? Not at all. It actually goes on to say that if this is, this is a calling that God's placed on all of our lives. His desire is that all of us, every single person in this room, no matter how mature or immature you are in your faith, that all of us would be honorable vessels for the Lord. You have a choice in the matter. Yes, God put us in the race, and he, he called us to himself, but now we have a choice in how we live our lives, and he, he's calling us now to all be honorable. Well, how does that happen? I'm glad you asked that question. Paul is already anticipating that. Look what it says in verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, so how do you go from dishonor to honorable? How do you maintain the status of honorable before the Lord? Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, what's dishonorable? Well, we talked about it last week through Brett's a sermon on uh, false doctrine, really, right? And, and irreverent talk. What's dishonorable? Uh, false doctrine, which leads to false actions and evil ways and even uh, associated with evil people to cleanse yourself from that and you're going to be a vessel for honorable use. If anyone cleanses himself, if anyone takes the time to look in the mirror and see where he's really at and actively engages in a cleansing ritual that most of us do every day. Pretty thrilled to announce my son's got a job now at 15. It's about time he got out of the house and started earning his keep, right? <laughs> and so he comes home from his job Saturdays. It's been two Saturdays, and we're thrilled to see him go and thrilled to see him come home. When he comes home, though, the first thing we say is what? Buddy, hit the showers. You don't have to tell him that. He comes home feeling gross. He hits the showers, and he uh, gets all the grime off, lathers up, and puts all the good stuff back on. We're like, now you're presentable. Now we can hang out a little bit. Really what Paul is talking about, he was taking a spiritual shower every single day, looking in the mirror. Okay, like, realize or not, you live life in the dirty world. You're going to get dirty as you go throughout your day. Even sitting at an office desk, you're going to get dirty in a sinful world. You have a sinful disposition. There's sin all around you, and you're going to get dirty. So taking a look in the mirror every day, and hopefully you're in an everyday shower like most of us are. And okay, like I got to clean up. I got to clean up today. Where's areas you need cleaning up? Let's just get some hot water on. Let's, let's get rid of all the grime. Let's soap up. Let's lather up the hair. And let's, let's get clean again. This is what our call to is every single day. It's an effort, yes. But it's necessary for us to remain honorable before the Lord. Believing the right things about God and living out uh, our correct doctrine in a way that honors Jesus Christ. Being useful. Cleanse yourself from what is dishonorable. Then you'll be a vessel for honorable use. Set apart as holy. So Christ has already set us apart as holy through a sanctifying work for us on the cross. But in sanctification, it's a two-way street. Christ has declared us holy in position, but practically it's a lifetime of living that out. Sanctification takes work. I am holy, but I have to... Do something to maintain that level of holiness that God calls us to. Look what it says next. Useful to the master of the house. One that God would look at and say, man, I want to use that person. They're exemplifying me. They look like me. They have the same heart and attitude as I do. They value my words and my character. Look at next. Ready for every good work. 
useful to the master as opposed to being useless, ready for every good work, as opposed to could care less about striving to, about working and striving for every, some of us strive for every, to avoid every appearance of work. Works legalism, works legalism, not, not in this case. God's calling us to this as a good thing that he has asked us to do for his glory. Eager to get to work, eyes open, uniform on, punched in at the right time, ready to go, like I'm here for work, boss, or athletic terms like, put me in, coach, put me in, coach. I don't know an athlete that likes sitting on the sidelines. Do you? Do you? Remember in, col- remember in college, I was like a freshman in the soccer team playing with seniors, and they needed a defender. I was a forward striker, and the coach, the coach like, who wants to play defender? No, I, I'll play wherever you want me to play. Just put me in the game. Unfortunately, I did too well, and I ended up playing defender my whole college career. But put me in, coach. I'm ready for every good work. This is what God is calling us to, to live a life of honor and use to the Lord. Unfortunately, it's true in the church there's some that are just honorable and some that are dishonorable. I'm not telling you anything that God hasn't told us in his word. What's our goal as believers? Just to say a prayer and get to heaven one day and hopefully for a comfortable life here on earth? If that's your idea of heaven, you've missed out on the glory of Jesus Christ. If that's your idea of what the Christian life is, you've missed out on the glory of Jesus Christ. Our, our goal as believers now is in response to what Christ has done for us, then now we offer our lives to him and say, God, you've done everything for me. Now use me for your purposes. I'm ready to do your goodwill. Nice little poem I found by Audrey Meyer that says it in such a great way. This is our heart. This is how we know we're up for, we can be up for nomination for the crown of life with this mindset, to be used of God, to sing, to speak, to pray, to be used of God to show someone the way I long so much to feel the touch of his consuming fire, to be used of God is my desire. Honorable, dishonorable. I'm not going to judge you today. I did a lot of judging of my own heart this uh, past week. It's humbling to get under texts like this and really let God do a thorough cleansing of your heart. I'm not even going to call you out today. I'm going to ask you to do this. Let the word of God sink into your heart this morning. Let the Holy Spirit shine a light on your heart this morning as you ask yourself that most Pivotal question, how am I fighting this fight of faith? Am I fighting valiantly? Am I just happy to be called a Christian? Or would God look at my life and notice me for all the wrong reasons today? It's not a flippant time of sitting under the word of God because God's desire, like I said, I believe he wants to pass out the crown of life like candy when heaven comes. Not just for preachers, not just for spiritually elite who know theology, the spiritually elite are those who will, who will give their whole lives to live a life of honor before the Lord. If you're on the right path, let this encouragement sink in. God honors your effort. God honors your fight. You may get weary. You might get tired. But you don't give up because you know there's a greater crown coming and it's going to be awesome. If you're realizing this morning that you might not qualify for that nomination ballot, 
Let me remind you of this, the words of John MacArthur that I found so penetrating to my own soul that spur me in the right direction. Look at this. An immoral or doctrinally corrupt believer of dishonor, especially a leader, remember leaders are doubly accountable before the Lord, is more dangerous than a pagan or atheist. Because weaker, careless brothers and sisters may assume or rationalize that certain practices and ideas are permissible simply because they're being practiced and taught by some in the church, including leaders. true if God were to evaluate, evaluate your life this morning what would he see are you cleansed even walking into church do you take time to cleanse your heart even this, this week throughout the week or you just come bumbling into church expecting that you're going to see God and worship God and hear from God in the same way are you eager and ready to do the work of God? Are you even coming to church to expect that everyone else is going to do the work and you're just going to kind of come and be comfortable and, and, and you're okay with being in the back row and flying under the radar? Are you ready to live your life full out for the glory of God this morning? That's what Jesus died to save us to, not a life of dishonor, but a life of honor. That's what Jesus empowers us to, not a life of dishonor, but a life of honor. Point number one is honorable living is what it's all about. Point number two is simply this. Pursuing godliness is where it's at. Pursuing godliness is where it's at. Verses 22 to 25 and 26. At this point in the text, I'm probably sure you're like me. of Like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Like, God, do whatever you need to do. Like, make my life one of honor. Make my life one of honor. I don't want to skip into heaven on the, on the, by the seat of my pants. Like, I want to be there, and I want to be in the right line, and, and, and I want to make, make something of my life. I know many of you are there. And yet the question is, well, how does this actually play out practically? How does this play out practically? And, and so glad you asked that question as well, because we see it here in verse 22. Paul, Paul's a very practical a teacher. He wants us to not just know theology, but to live it out. Verse 22, so flee youthful passions, it says. So how do, I, how do I cleanse myself, and how do I set myself apart as honorable and ready for every good work? Here it starts. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. You want to be useful? You want to be useful in this life? Pursue godliness, starting with this, out with sinful passions, in with righteous desires. Out with sinful passions, in with righteous desires. Look at this. Flee youthful passions. That word flee is derived from the word fugitive. Or to be continuously on the run. You think of Fugitive. I remember the show that I watched when I was a kid that became a movie later on in the early 2000s, The Fugitive. Remember that show? Some of you young kids are like, no idea. It was a black and whiter, but there's a movie in the 2000s called The Fugitive. Story about a guy named Dr. Richard Kimball, innocent man, and his wife was murdered, and he came home, and she was on the floor, and he saw one-armed man escaping, and he maintained his innocence and went to jail, somehow escaped jail, and spent his life on the run trying to find the one-armed bandit that killed his wife that he could prove his innocence and verify his story. Always on the run from the cops. This is how we live lives of honor. We, we live lives of honor by being always on the run from the enemy, always on the run from the enemy, always on the run from his goons, and the, and the perils of sin, constantly fleeing sin. It's not a one-time decision, I'm going to flee sin. It's constantly fleeing sin because the enemy's looking around every corner trying to trap us and catch us. 
that we might maintain our purity and maintain our innocence before the Lord. It says to flee, to keep on fleeing, dodging sin and youthful passions. We see youthful passions in the Greek word of this actually is something more than just passions of the youth. We see this in like, oh, it must mean sexual temptation and stuff like that. But youthful passions in the Greek is actually a word that talks about sinful desires in general. This is a good text for the youth. It's not for the youth. It's sinful desires in general. Things like sexual lust and also money and fame and pleasure and self-will and impatience. Maybe a youthful problem that we struggle with into adulthood and pride and Rebellion and the know-it-all attitude often associated with, with youth. And yet we can't forget that Paul's not talking to like an 18-year-old kid who's head of the student leadership team here. He's talking to Timothy. He's not like this gangly, awkward teenager with braces on his teeth. He's talking to a 35-year-old man. And he's still reminding him, hey, flee from the Youthful passions. You know why? Because the youthful passions never seem to flee from us. I thought in my 20s, by 30, the youthful passions would flee. I thought when I hit 40 that they'd flee and they're still here. And, and middle-aged people still have youthful passions. Is anyone with me on this? Thank you. Get beyond middle-aged. We won't call them anything but beyond middle-aged. And guess what? You still struggle with youthful passions. And you think, what's wrong with me today? I'm struggling for the things I struggle with in high school. It's a maturity thing, not an age thing. You know you can be old and immature, and you can be young and mature, right? Flee, he says, youthful passions. Any of us can fall into the traps of falling into desires that divert us from the path of God. Flee those things. We say, take sin seriously. Oh, we so trivialize sin in our church and our culture. Everybody sins. Like, don't, don't look down on me. Everyone sins. Yeah, we all sin, but we've all also been saved from sin and empowered to a life of righteousness. Yeah, I sin, but not as bad as that guy. You see my kids? Oh, my goodness. We're the best rationalizers in the world, aren't we? Where's the honor in that? You want to live lives honorable? Stop rationalizing your sin as well. I'm only human and it's okay. God forgives. Yes, yes, and yes. But God has something for us greater than our sin. What is it? Here it is right here. It's, it's pursuing a life of righteousness to pursue, to chase after. Get rid of the youthful passion. To chase after these things. Go after them and get them. Righteousness. Things that are right before God like faith and love and peace and do this along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Chase after above all things. Chase after purity and you'll find that a life of noble righteousness and honor just seem to follow suit in you and through you. When was the last time you woke up in the morning and you, instead of even fleeing from sin, you said, God, like, like, can, can you help me live a life of faith today? Living in faith. By faith, but also in faithfulness. This isn't just like a, I'm going to live by faith. Yeah, yes, but it's also living faithful lives in faith and love and not the superficial feeling kind of love, but the supernatural follow-through type of love. 
faith and love and peace, not this absence of warfare. Kind of, oh, this is no warfare in my homelessness. This, this effort to live in harmony, in compatibility with other people, to chase after these things the same way your dog would chase after a bone. Our dog never comes when he's called, except if you have a bone in your hand. And you fire that bone, and our dog will like beeline for that bone and go through anything to get to that bone. And if your dog's like my dog, when he comes back, he won't give that bone up. You can pick him up. You're like, let go of the bones. We're going to throw it again. Not like pursue is in like, oh, yeah, I should probably do that one day. Like pursue is in like, let's, let's get after it. Let's go after the things that really matter. So often we waste our lives on pursuing things that might be good, but they don't really matter. They don't put us in the right line when it comes to the things of God. Also, what we're aiming for in this life is what? It says at the end here, two words, pure heart. Blessed are those who have a pure heart, it says in Matthew, the Beatitudes, for they will what? They'll see God. The other side of that is God will notice them as they live their lives of honor. I'm going to go after your pure heart. I'm not going to pursue all the other. I'm going to go after your pure heart. Even if I'm the only one, I'm going to go after your pure heart. I'll get discouraged no one else is going after your pure heart. Who cares what everyone else is going after? 3,522 medals given out over 150 years. Well, I'm going to be one of the ones that gets the crown of life no matter what anyone else is doing. I'm going after a pure heart. You can't do that by yourself. Notice what it says here. Join in with those who are also pursuing the same things. Birds of a feather. Birds of a feather. There you go. Remember what your mom told you when you were young? She goes, well, you're going to become who you like, who you hang out with. You're going to become like them. You're like, whatever. And then you find out it's true. Grab those around you who you see fleeing from sin and pursuing righteousness. Become friends with those people. Get your own little group name called True Christians and put that on the, the, the tattoo that on your heart somewhere and be proud of that group and go after it together because you can't do it alone. You need people around you. You need a, a gang mentality to live this out. Just like no one fights a war by themselves, nobody fights the Christian battle by themselves. Nobody does. doesn't matter how strong you are, how spiritual you think you are. Out with sinful passions, in with righteous desires, takes accountability. It takes each other. How about we stop here and think about this for a minute. Why don't we put these three things on our prayer list every day? Instead of God, keep me safe. Instead of God, like, help me with my finances. Those are important things. But how about God, like, help me live in faithfulness. Today, I don't want to be recognized. I just want to be faithful today. How many love? No, no, no. I mean, like, truly love. How many live in peace today? And strive for peace and be a peacemaker instead of a peace breaker? Anyone can be a peace breaker, few can be peacemakers. That's why verse 23 goes on to show us some more practicalities of how to live this out, how to live out a, an honorable, noble life. Verse 23, my little subtitle for this is this, out with stirring the pot, in with healthy dialogue. Out with stirring the pot, in with healthy dialogue. Have nothing to do, have nothing to do with, don't dabble in this, don't be like, well, it's okay, it's a, it's a prayer request. 
have nothing to do with, like shut it down, move on with what? Foolish. It's actually the only word in the New Testament that's actually translated by God. He can say this word, stupid. I know you kids. It's in the Bible, Mom. Pastor said it. You can't use it. Only God can. Stupid and foolish. Uneducated, dull, simple mind. What's the next word? Controversies. You know what controversies are. You live more than a day. You know what controversies are. It comes naturally to us, right? Have nothing to do with stirring the pot and have everything to do with healthy dialogue that's going to help other people also live noble and godly lives. It's amazing to me that foolish Ignorant controversies often come from those who give the greatest aura of spiritual maturity and the greatest pretense of wanting to do great things for God and making an impact for God. It's amazing to me how even in Christian circles we can get into this foolish, ignorant controversies thing and sometimes the those that think they had the most of conversations are really adding the least, and so we get on our theological, we get on our theological uh, trains of things we think are important, but they're not really deep theological things that the Bible's clear on or major doctrines, and we just drum that, beat that drum, beat that drum, and because I believe it, everybody else has to believe it too. How ignorant is that to think that I, oh, I can... Case prove everything from the word from somewhere and take things out of context. Well, it says it in God's word, but let's stand on the things that matter. Amen. Even when it comes to preferences in the church, we can only sing hymns and we can only sing new songs and we should be doing this and we should be kneeling and bowing and raising our hands and clapping our feet, whatever you want to do. I don't know. All kinds of weird stuff comes out. Let's talk about it. Let's study more. Let's try and figure it out. I'm going to convince you that I'm right and you're wrong because that's the best because I'm always right. Eh. You get tired of that stuff? Some people love it for some reason. I think it's that it makes them feel important or they think they're contributing or they like to be the center of attention. Some people love it. Clearly God looks at it as dishonorable. I'm not saying you don't stand and have those discussions at great length and at great passion sometimes because there are things we need to stand on for sure that will create controversy like the word of God being true and a 100% inerrant across the board like salvation Jesus Christ lived son of God fully God fully man he lived born of a virgin he lived he died for me penal substitution absolutely he rose again that I might have new life and live out this Christian calling for sure even even the New Testament is full of commands and if it says it clear in the Bible we don't need to argue about those things and try to figure out what it really means when you tell your kids something you tell them you tell them in code so they have to figure it out no you tell them plainly that's what God our heavenly father has done for us there's some things worth fighting for and standing on. There's other things that, like, please save your breath. All you're doing is causing controversies and quarrels. It doesn't matter if everyone agrees with you or not. Didn't think I'd get an amen on that one. Because it's hitting a little close to home. It doesn't even matter if you all agree with me, to be honest. It's not my goal at our church to help you all agree with my theology. Our goal is to help you 
come to God and grab onto God's word and love God and hold on to the core doctrines of the faith. If you don't know what they are, ask one of our elders. We'll help you decide what's a, what's a good controversy to get into and what's not a good controversy to get into. We'll help you. We'd be happy to. Here's five questions you can ask yourself if you're trying to debate whether this is an honorable conversation, a healthy conversation, or this is an unhonorable, unhealthy conversation. Number one is, does this actually matter in the grand scheme of things? That question takes about two seconds to ask yourself, and it would save hours of struggle if you do it. Here's another one. Is this a core biblical doctrine? Does the Bible revolve around, uh, does this revolve around an essential doctrine of the Bible? Again, you can ask one of our elders if you don't know, but most of you should know that. Number three, is this leading somewhere prosperous for my own soul, my own heart, and also their heart? In the conversations I've laughed in the last year, I just realized, you know what, this is going nowhere good for you or for me. And I can't convince you anyway, so I'm just going to walk away right now and pray for you. How about this one? How does this conversation edify or build up the body of Christ? Is this going to make the body of Christ healthier or unhealthier? Uh, here's another important one. Will this reveal the glory of Jesus to the unbeliever? I just want to encourage you, don't get sucked into those traps of spiritual conversations by those who love closing in on theology but run away from living out theology. If it's a yes, if those all answer yes, like go after it, have those discussions and invigorate and study the Bible and have those discussions, spur each other on, iron sharpens iron, but if they don't, if they don't, now's a good time to probably walk away. You know what this is really a sign of? It's a sign of maturity versus immaturity. Early on in ministry, I was so stinking immature. I can't believe they gave me title pastor. I shouldn't have had a title pastor for sure. Every person that came, let's engage, let's go, let's go, let's go. What a fool I was. I'm getting older, maybe a little wiser, I hope. I encourage you to get older and wiser too. You can be young and have wisdom. You can be old and be immature, right? Out with stirring the pot, in with healthy dialogues. This is why verse 24 goes on to say, like, don't get into these things. And the Lord's servant, this, this, is, this is those, the Lord's servant. He's really talking to Timothy as a pastor right now, but we know that, that it's not just pastors out of the Lord's servant. Who's the Lord's servant in this church? Put your hand up if you're a Lord's servant. If you're saved, your hand should be up there. Well, I know Jesus, but I don't want to serve him. That's not, that's not, that's not it. If you're here and you're saved, you're the Lord's servant. You know what the word servant means? It means that, 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 that we are actually the Lord's bondservant, dualos, bondservant. Subservient to Jesus Christ in every single way. We're slaves to Jesus Christ. We give up our rights to the door and now we serve Jesus. He served us by paying for our, our, our lives on the cross. His blood bought our lives and so now what do we do? We give our lives, bondservants, give up our rights for Jesus Christ. Those of you who serve Jesus Christ, there's only one way to serve Jesus Christ, that's it. Let's not be quarrelsome. Forget those dishonorable discussions. This is what we live out if we're gonna get in line for the crown of life, the medal of honor that trumps every medal of honor. This is what we do. We strive to be Lord's servants, not quarrelsome. Not fighters, not potsters, not quarrelsome. It's actually easy to be not quarrelsome if we realize that we're the Lord's servants. You know that? 
We recognize even today we're the Lord's servants. It's easy to not be quarrelsome. Why? Because really, what do our, most of our quarrels come from? They didn't treat me right because I have these, all these rights, right? I should have a higher place in their heart or they should listen to me more. And if you're just a servant of the Lord, it doesn't matter who opposes you, who disagrees with you. <laughs> you can walk away easily because no skin off your back. Don't be known as a quarreler. It's not a badge of honor. But instead, be kind to everyone. That's pretty easy. Here's two words to remember as you leave this place. Be nice. I said yesterday to our kids, just be nice. That's three words, sorry. I wonder how many times God in heaven just looks down and like, just be nice. So simple. Be kind to everyone, able to teach. This is, again, talking to a pastor. You have to have some skill in teaching and, and helping people understand the word of God. But really, it's not just a pastor called to teach. We're all called to be disciple makers, right? We're all called to put what we know into other people's lives to teach. Fathers, you have a great role to teach. You're the uh, head of the home to teach your wife. And wives, you actually have something to learn from your husbands, believe it or not. Kids and coworkers and small group members and all kinds of people, men, you're called to teach and be a part of their lives. Women, you have a teaching role. The Bible says not in the church in an active way at the front, but you have a call to teach. You actually teach your husband things. Come on, guys. You can still learn from your wives. It doesn't mean that, you know, this equality thing and this, this uh, complementarian thing doesn't mean that you have nothing to learn from your wife. You get that, I hope, right, men? Three of you, good. I'm still learning from my wife every single day, even when I don't like to learn from my wife. Wives, you have something to teach your husbands and as your helpmate to teach them and remind them of things they already know. And, and wives, you have the great role of, of teaching your kids even more time than we do as dads to teach our kids and, and to put into your family members and your coworkers as well and those that you rub shoulders with. We're called to teach all of us. You never are too young to teach, never too old to teach. What you know, you pass on. That's basically what he's getting at here. Not everyone's called to be a teacher, but we're all called to instruct on some level. Enduring patience, enduring evil, patiently, sorry, enduring evil. I just wrote a word in my margin. It's this, help. First time I read that, like, really? Help. A couple exclamation marks after it. Help. Patiently enduring evil. Do you realize as believers we're never going to eradicate this world of evil? In fact, look what the Bible teaches is going to get worse and worse, not better and better. We're called to patiently endure. Huh. That's why there's so few crowns given out in heaven. Patiently endure. It means we're putting ourselves in the battle, and, and it's going to get hard, and people are going to oppose us. It says it later. They're going to oppose us, patiently dealing with opposers. Even in the church, people are going to oppose us. You live honorably, people are going to oppose you, even in the church. Head scratcher, but true. We don't get discouraged. We don't get down on people who are against us or not thinking the way we should. What do we do? We patiently, and I'll struggle with that word. I'm like, God, why do you bring it up so often? Maybe just once or twice over. It's just perfect for me. We patiently endure. Patiently endure. What's the next? Correcting his opponents, uh, showing even our opponents the right way. So, yes, we stand against our opponents, but not in a cocky attitude, but in a caring attitude. It's all disposition here, right? Correcting his opponents with gentleness. With gentleness. Another word for gentleness is meekness. Meekness. It's not gentle. It's like, oh, mamsy, pamsy, little fella. That's not it. 
but with meekness. With power, but under control. You know what the hard, hardest muscle on your body to actually exemplify gentleness with? It's not your fist, it's not your feet, it's your tongue. That's why God put a little cage around it called teeth. To keep it from coming out. And even sometimes to clamp down to keep that sucker in there. To do so with gentleness. First Timothy tells us that how do we correct those around us? How do we stand for truth? A father like you would your father. If you disrespect your father, not like that, but as a regular respectful person would, just would talk to their father. Do that with the older men, with, with people your age or younger, with, like you would with brothers. And again, don't take this, those of you who are like, oh, I treat my brother like garbage. Well, not like that, but with the respectable brothers and, and how you treat older women like you would with a mother and, and how would you treat younger women like you would with a sister all before the Lord. There you have it, really. Man, it's that simple. It's not really that simple in and of yourself. But it's completely possible if you live your life surrendered to the power of Jesus Christ. You want to live a life of honor? I want to be a life of honor. I want to live a life of honor. I want to be, I want to be. Here's what it takes right here. God wants to hand out a lot of crowns of life. But I'd be willing to suspect he doesn't hand out that many. Because this is a call for the courageous. This is a call for the vigilant. This is a call for the passionate. This is a call for the all-in believer. Not just the casual Christian who's content with somehow eking through life comfortable. Really, scriptures call us to Decision, every single time you open the Bible, it calls you to decision, right? And the decision today is, what kind of Christian am I going to be? What kind of Christ follower am I going to be? Pot stirrer. One that has a healthy discussion. Points people toward Jesus. Living in the flesh, easy. I have to put on the flesh when I wake up in the morning. Especially when the alarm goes off at 5.30 like it did this morning. The flesh just seems to be on, Right? but living in the spirit, taking time to put on your spiritual clothes and, and getting your mind aligned with the Lord and right theology, your heart aligned with Jesus Christ and, and getting your mind in that framework of today's the day that I'm gonna live all out for Jesus and live a life of courageousness. Now I'm gonna live today to advance the kingdom of God today. I'm gonna live today uh, to have uh, uh, to aim for honor, have conversations that lead to transformations, not just to, not just to win arguments. I'm going to have intentional interactions. I'm going to live with endurance by the fruit of the Spirit. This ought to be the, uh, the, uh, not the exception in the church, but the norm in the church. So that would be the norm in our lives. Because this is what God does in us. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're saved, this is what God is creating in you. Your only role is to agree with him in this. And to submit yourself and say, okay, God, here I am. Here I am. Just bring it on. And he'll make us into the competitive athletes and the soldiers of valor and the hardworking farmers. And look at the motivation behind all this. It's not that you get props. 
It's also so people can look at you as the theologian of the church and get a little plaque on your wall. Be, Ooh, you have all this theology degrees and look how good you are. It's also you can get citizen of the year. And so people say, look how moral you are. That's amazing. You're such a moral person. You're so good. You're so good. That's not what it's all about. It's, it's about this. It's about helping people know Jesus Christ and helping the brothers who are uh, living in dishonor at the moment because we all go through those seasons. We all go through those seasons. Helping the brother who's living in dishonor because of false theology they get into or the sinful ways, because false theology always leads to living sinful ways. Helping them get to, back to a place of, of honor. And so this is what the Bible points out for us. Now, the whole goal in these things is not to win arguments, but it's in, in to win people. This is how you live nobly. It's not to win arguments, it's to win people. Correcting your opponents with gentleness. So what's the heart in all this? It's that God may perhaps grant them repentance. It's having such a heart for people that you stand confidently on the truth. You surrender your life to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Why is that somehow through your life, people would turn from their gods and their sin and their folly to Jesus Christ? To lead people to repentance. Repentance is a 180 change of mind. It's a change of, of heart. It's a change of will. That you would lead people to repentance. That they would be back walking in a way that uh, honors God. That God would say, I want to use that person in a great way. I want to bring them to the forefront of my work. So that we can see me through their lives. Our heart is to bring people to repentance. Leading to a knowledge of the truth. That they may come to their senses. That people come to an understanding and a conviction of what God really says in his word. Not what they want him to say. Not what some, some feel-good preacher says that, that, that they want to hear. But that they would come to the knowledge of what God truly says in the scripture. That they would come to their senses. Here's what false teaching and here's what, what sinful living does. It dulls our senses just like a, just like a drunk person. A soberness. returns us to soberness. You ever, you ever, most of us have been around drunk people. Like They don't think straight. They, they can't talk straight. Their speech is all slurred. They can't even control their actions. They do the dumbest things when they're drunk. Somehow it makes them happy, but they wake up in the morning and go, oh my goodness, what did I just do last night? That's the, same, that's the same way we live in a spiritual sense and we choose to stray from the word of God and choose to walk our own paths of indulging the flesh and living lives of sin. Well, I know God's word says it, but let me try and get my way around it somehow and so we pray that those people not would be kicked out of heaven and out of God's family. We pray that they'd come to their senses. We pray that they'd come to know God, that they'd see God's word clearly again, that their, their words would make spiritual sense, that their minds would, would, would follow with God's lines, line of thinking, that their lives would reflect Jesus Christ. We pray these things, and because for those that aren't, and they're still Christians, this is a member to Christians, those that aren't walking this way are actually, it says here, in the snare of the devil. And they're captured by him to do his will. We don't like to talk about other believers like that. So we don't. We let God's word say it. Because if God says it, we stand on it. Amen? Again, it's just true. You can be a believer and ensnared by the devil. God promises us in John 10 that the devil will never actually take you to his lair because God won't let that happen. He's holding on to you even more than you're holding on to him. You might be ensnared by him for a while, but if you're of the Lord, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna hold on for your life and he's going to drag you back. But there's seasons where you can be ensnared by the devil and even though you're coming to church and you're still doing some of the right things, even though the attitude of your heart might not be there, you can still be used of the devil as a believer. Seen it, experienced it, been there myself, unfortunately. So our heart in standing is 
ultimately that we might be found faithful and that all those around us might also be found faithful, even more valiant than throwing your body over, over a fellow soldier to get the Medal of Honor is throwing your, your spiritual body over a spiritual brother or sister through the word, through prayer, uh, through care, and through, through, through healthy biblical confrontation to rescue their soul from the clutches of the enemy. This is a life that God desires to use for honorable purpose. Praying, God, take the blinders off of myself. Take the blinders off of your people. Let the lights come on. Let the lights come on. Only anyone can win an argument. Only a vessel for honorable use can actually win a soul back to Jesus Christ of those who are stumbling and falling away. You want to live a life of courage? You want to get the crown of life when you're done? You want to hear the well done and good, hear the well done, good and faithful servant? You want to hear those things? You want to hear those things? Nah, I don't care. It's not where you ought to be. I read this and all week I pray. God, somehow make me this because I can't do it. I'm not strong enough. I've tried, I fall flat on my face, but God, I surrender again. And I ask, Lord, that you would stir all these things in me and that you would work through me, that you, by your grace and your mercy, would look at this sinful, wicked life, left her own devices, and somehow, by the grace of Jesus, you would see a life live for the glory of God. And you would allow me, God, you'd allow me not just to know these truths, but to live them out this week. The application is right in the text. I'm not even going to say to you today, here's the application. You got the application right with the text. You're all smart people. The Holy Spirit's moving. He's working. You know, you know, you know. You know if you're honorable. You know if you're dishonorable. God, make me honorable today, I pray. I surrender again. I repent of my sin, God. Forget anyone else. I repent of my sin. I'm no longer content being a vessel of dishonorable use. No longer content. Light the fire in me again. Work in me again. Let me see you. Let me experience you. Let me, O oh God, see your smile upon my life that you might set me apart for the duration of this life that I may, that you may receive the crown of life. You know what my heart is? That every person in this room receives the crown of life. That make me prouder than anything. Prouder than seeing my son play his bass on stage today. What would make me really proud is if every person in this room simply humbled himself under the word of God and received the crown of life. That would be, that would be awesome. And so I preach it. Holy Spirit uses it. You decide. Even right now, you're deciding right now. What am I going to do with it? I'm going to cleanse myself. Even now, the sin, it's there. You know it. I'm going to cleanse myself. I set myself apart for the work of the Lord? Am I going to go status quo? Am I going to live comfortable? Am I going to be satisfied being the receptacles of where the leftovers go instead of the implements of which the delicatessens go on for the, in the house of the Lord? Let me pray. Thank you, Father, for your word, which is living and active. For those that need conviction today, God, 
We ask your Holy Spirit do his work. For we know true conviction always leads to repentance. A restored relationship with God and health and a healthy vital, life of vitality in Jesus Christ. So if it's conviction we need, God, we're open. Convict us. This is strength and encouragement we need, God. Would you bring that too? For there's so many in this room that, that this just encourages. They're doing it, Lord, and, and they're seeing God work, and, and we know they're being used for honorable purposes. We encourage God. Would you strengthen that resolve to live valiantly for Jesus Christ? Lord, our heart's desire is not just to run this race. It's not just to fight this fight and be content, Lord, with getting across the finish line. Yes, that's part of it, but God, we want to be at the front of the pack, leading your people to a deeper relationship with you, living this life for the glory of Jesus Christ. God, may every person in this room, right here, right now, receive the crown of life at the end. And may that decision start right now in our seats. In Jesus' name, amen.